our exploration uh, continues and I'd like to um, try and speak more about uh, Samadhi and Samadhi practice today, what it is that we're actually doing um, and kind of a little bit also where it sits in uh, the bigger picture of um, Dharma teachings and practices and where it's going. So I've just given myself, I've just listened to myself say that and it's like, all right, that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, so let's start with Samadhi and see where, where we go, where we get to. Um, so the first thing to say is that um, Samadhi as uh, a practice, as a... Um, part of the path to awakening uh, appears a lot in the teachings and it also appears in different contexts. It's part of uh, different lists and different maps that the Buddha um, kind of set out. And this may be part of the reason, yes, worth bearing in mind, part of the reason why uh, we might hear um, it spoken of in, in quite uh, different ways, yeah, different ways. It's um, defined, yeah, this word samadhi, what it means, different interpretations yeah, and different ways of practicing. And so one, uh, one way that samadhi is uh, defined is um, as, and this is kind of the, the translation, one way it's translated, is um, a coming together on a particular yeah, coming together on a particular. Yeah, we can, I really like this translation because we can see that's what we do um, when we meditate, right? When we develop uh, samadhi, samatha, we're kind of bringing the body, heart and mind, collecting the attention, the awareness on something in particular. Yeah, what we're calling our base practice, what we're calling an object or an anchor of attention. This is also a very useful de definition, not just for meditation practice, but also for our lives. Yeah? So we can say, for example, yeah, that uh, when we are clear about our intention, yeah, what our aspirations in life, we live in a way which is a coming together, a gathering of our resources, a gathering of our attention, yeah. a gathering of our intention uh, on that particular intention, yeah? living in alignment with, living through, um, living it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually came across, this is an aside, and I'm <laughs> making my job harder. I remember how I first heard this definition was when I was um, complaining to one of my teachers that I had no samadhi, that my samadhi was rubbish <laughs> because I have such a scattered mind and um, it's so difficult to gather it in, in meditation practice and formal practice. Um, that was at least my view at the time. And then my, that teacher said, you know, but look at your life. Yeah, there's so much samadhi in your life because there's just such clarity about what's important 
and going with that. Yeah. So I, I'm saying that because, you know, sometimes it's helpful to see the two. Yeah. To see that, yeah, there's samadhi and meditation practice, but there's also that coming together on the particular uh, in our lives, whether it's in a conversation and we're just listening to someone. Yeah, we're really coming together, bringing a whole being into the listening, and whether it's in big ways that we um, kind of align our lives or in small ways. Um, and of course, you know, relating it to how we're practicing here, we're coming together, yeah, bringing the body, heart, mind together, particular, particularly on the wholesome. So the particular is the wholesome, the kusala. Yeah? that Nathan mentioned today, um, that well-being, that yumminess, that pleasantness that is arising in experience. And in the language of the teaching, it's unworldly, it's meditative. Yeah? It's not coming from getting something we want. Yeah? It's coming through our practice, through our intention, through our wholeheartedness. Yeah? Hopefully, as I say that, some of the pieces, more of the pieces are coming into this fabric. I think I mentioned this uh, at the beginning. Often, uh, most commonly, samadhi is mentioned is uh, translated as concentration. Yeah? Very, very common translation, concentration. And so, that translation um, tends to get interpreted and sometimes to be presented as samadhi is really gathering the mind and often quite narrowly yeah? on on the object. Yeah? Um, and this is one, one form, one way of samadhi. Um, and it's interesting to see what happens to many of us when we think about it in that way and when we apply ourselves in that way. It tends to often come with a lot of effort, yeah, in a sense of narrowing down. Yeah? And it can feel quite different to what we're doing, which is opening, yeah? having a sense of the whole body, awareness, uh, that wholeheartedness at the root, and then the kind of building the samadhi from kind of where it's going to. Yeah, we're taking and saying, ah, samadhi, you know, even with one-pointed concentration, usually kind of brings this beautiful well-being, but we're going to start with the well-being and build that up to get there. Um, interesting about the word concentration, yeah, just to pause with it a little bit, uh, I'm not very, I don't know Latin very well, but someone told me that if we break concentration into its two Latin components, it is con, towards, yeah, giving us a direction, Cent, centration, center, yeah, towards the center. Yeah? And this is quite a different sense yeah, of the word, right? I don't know if it's the same with, with the Czech word for this, but in English, quite a different sense than the usual sense that we have for concentration. And again, we're gathering and what we're doing here, we're gathering towards the center of well-being. Yeah, what's at the center is the well-being. Yeah, what's at the center is the wholeheartedness. What's at the center is the kusala, the beautiful, the wholesome, the lovely. Yeah? And so kind of that, ah, that gathering in towards the center. So the effort we're making, the gathering we're doing, yeah, is that you know, effort of gathering, the collecting um, towards the beautiful and the wholesome, and the effort of letting go of its opposite, 
Yeah? And this is kind of the way um, wise effort is spoken of uh, in, in the path. Yeah? It's not that this kind of effort is the effort that comes with discernment of supporting the beautiful and the wholesome. Yeah? Supporting it to arise and nourishing when it's already arisen. And then the letting go, the not feeding the unwholesome when that has arisen. And um, the Buddha had several images for this uh, kind of uh, exploration of effort, of how to do this so that we're not too tight, we're not too loose. One of them um, was the image of a string instrument being tuned. It's a lute, I think they translate, whatever the Indian instrument is that he's talking about. But, you know, string instruments work kind of the same. They have strings, and the strings need to be attended to, yeah, so that they're not too tight, they're not too loose, right? If they're too tight, they break. If they're too loose, you can't play the instrument. And um, it's a beautiful analogy for our effort because it's constantly changing. Just like if you've played a string instrument, you know that it depends kind of on what the pressure um, of the weather is doing and how humid it is, yeah? Uh, and it's an ongoing process, right? You need to keep doing it. You need to keep um, checking every time. And when Nathan and I were talking about this image, uh, I think it was yesterday or this morning, um, you know, he was saying, you know, it's interesting, this image of a musical instrument, because, of course, the getting it tuned isn't the final thing. Then you have to play it. <laughs> so the effort, yeah, yeah, the effort here of tuning the instrument so that the instrument can then yeah, play forth, yeah, create beauty. Yeah. And so the effort there constantly part of our, our process, yeah, how much, in what way, yeah, how little, yeah, how do we um, bring that in uh, so that we support the the creation, the nourishment of the beautiful and the lovely. So, so far when we've spoken of samadhi, we've very much emphasized um, what is uh, Rob, Rob Abaya's definition, uh, which I think is really like a work of art in itself. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, that sense of the unification and the harmonization of body, heart, and mind in well-being. Yeah, and um, you know when we reflect, and you know I think we've all had experiences of this by now. Yeah, even if we might feel they were very small or very fleeting, um, that that sense of unification and harmonization itself is well-being, right? There's such a well-being in that sense of harmony, yeah, that sense of unification. There's such an ease uh, that opens up. Um, and then the kind of practice, one of the ways we get to that unification is through bringing the attention to the well-being and then attending to it in ways that harmonize, yeah, in ways that uh, unify. As we're doing that, we're cultivating more and more uh, samadhi.
And so, you know, this is something I've said, I don't know how many times already, but just keep, it's worth to keep repeating that we're cultivating that capacity and that sensitivity to attune the attention to the pleasant, to attune the attention to well-being and to different types of that. As we progress with this practice, we'll see more and more of that. Um, Again, this is an image from Rob. I'm sorry, I'm I'm mentioning him a lot, but I just feel like I need to give him the credit so you don't think I came up with these... (laughs) some of these ways of speaking about it, Um, which is, you know, he said it's like, you know, it's like we we start to um, be able to tune our experience like we tune a radio, an old-style radio with a dial. (laughs) And we know uh, around here there's this frequency of pity, of this pleasure. Uh, And then around here is the frequency of sukha. Yeah. with PT mixed in mm-hmm. and around here is the frequency of sukha without the PT yeah. and so we kind of um, we're cultivating the capacity to attune our attention yeah, directly to this to particular frequencies and it's most likely most of you aren't here yet and that's fine yeah, but some of you are and also worth kind of starting to speak about this so that we kind of know where the where the practice is going also so attuning to any pleasantness any well-being yeah that's a skill that we're developing and then attuning to a particular frequency yeah, is another skill that we're cultivating particular um, frequency of well-being at discerning between the different ones and how they impact us and then cultivating also the capacity to stay, to keep attention with our well-being. And as we're doing that, to deepen it, to increase it, and to grow it. Yeah? And as we were saying with the sassy, yeah, to spread it, to absorb in it, to sustain it, and to enjoy it. Yeah? These are all ways, all things that we're cultivating, and they're all ways that we're working with. Yeah? The well-being in particular. Yeah, so when we talk about spreading to the energy body, we're spreading the well-being to the size of the energy body. When we're talking about absorbing, it's absorbing into that well-being itself, into the pleasantness itself. We're talking about enjoyment, generally we want to enjoy, but in the practice, enjoying that well-being that's arising. And all of this uh, relies on this malleability, pliability and flexibility of perception. Yeah? Relies on that. Yeah? Our perception, the, the way we perceive experience, the way we perceive the world, yeah? is changeable, malleable, flexible. Yeah? It's not fixed, it's not rigid. And we're relying on that in order to be able to tune into these different frequencies and to sustain um, attention with them and as we do so we are developing that malleability and pliability and flexibility even more the mind uh, becomes more malleable more pliable more flexible the mind itself becomes more beautiful because it's, it's got so much more range and movement and capacity. Yeah. And it's less rigid. 
less fixed. And that opens up more possibilities of freedom in how we live, in how we practice, in how we relate to our experience. So where, you know, as we're doing this practice, one way we could see it is that we are playing with our perception. Mm-hmm. We're playing with our perception to notice more and more subtle aspects of our experience. Yeah. And we're shaping the perception towards particular experiences as well. Yeah. So we're shaping our experience to go towards more joy and enjoyment through how we're relating, through how we're attending, through how we're exploring. So I think yesterday, I'm pretty sure Nathan mentioned, and if not, I'll mention it for the first time, but I think he mentioned this, um, his definition of PT, which is... um, You know, that which can be perceived in the body, that which can be perceived as pleasant. That which can be perceived as pleasant. Notice that. (laughs) Not that which is pleasant, that which can be perceived as. Really interesting. Can you feel the the, the kind of, this is huge. (laughs) If we talk about something and we say, you know, it's not inherently, it's not in itself got pleasantness or unpleasantness, but it can be perceived as pleasant, can be perceived as unpleasant, yeah. can be perceived as neither nor. Yeah. What does that mean about the part our mind plays? What does that mean about the possibilities that open up for us? And so we can see this with, and this is something we've been doing really from early on in the retreat, we can see it as we become more sensitive to pleasantness and we're actively open to notice it, to beauty, to loveliness. You may have seen, noticed that as you do that, then less eventful things, things that we normally wouldn't even notice, yeah, suddenly as the sensitivity grows, yeah, we notice their beauty. Yeah, or we notice the well-being that comes. Yeah. As sensitivity grows, more pleasantness is available. More pleasantness is uh, perceived. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if you haven't noticed it already, just, just reflect a little bit. You know, sometimes when we're on retreat, you know, we might walk out um, or look out the window, and suddenly, just the way a tree, yeah moves in the wind and touch us so deeply and someone asked me you know it's just a tree being moved by the wind what's your deal (laughs) why are you in tears (laughs) because you're so moved yeah happened to me this morning (laughs) i said to nathan look look at that tree look at look at the green leaves you know that are just you know there's the whole tree and suddenly Seemingly overnight, it's got all these new, fresh green leaves kind of popping out. Luckily, Nathan's as crazy as me, so we both stand there teary-eyed together and look at this, you know. But it's, it's kind of, you know, what, what like, you know, we, we start to see, we, we, we wouldn't ordinarily see this, or the kind of, the person who is not looking in this way would not notice 
these kind of just seemingly, you know, just, oh, uh, yeah, that just happens. Trees make leaves. Yeah. And as we kind of play with our perception, we can see as the sensitivity grows, we see more beauty, we see more loveliness. Yeah, that's perceived. And this yeah, huge impact on our lives, we're actually rewiring our brain differently yeah? from the um, way it's wired, mostly from our shared human history and then sometimes from our personal history, yeah? to something more free, more sensitive, yeah? more uh, attuned to notice beauty. Yeah, to be touched by life, to appreciate. Yeah. So this kind of goes way beyond retreat. Yeah. What we're doing on retreat just kind of has that impact. And the more we continue with these practices, the more that impact uh, will grow and will stay with us. It does take some practice and also maintenance <laughs> through practice. If we go back to that definition of piti, that which can be perceived as piti, this means yeah, that we can choose to see something as piti. We can choose to see something as having that kind of pleasure and pleasantness. Yeah. And when the mind, when the perception is flexible enough and pliable enough, it begins to act as PT acts, yeah? It becomes PT, yeah? The perception uh, shapes the object. And um, you know, I remember this, you know, hearing Rob saying, you know, you can choose to see pain as PT, yeah? You can choose to do that and see what happens. And so, you know, I already had some experience with the practice then not a lot yeah but I'd been practicing and I was on a long retreat and so you know next time I had pain which was one of the regular pains I would get when I'd be sitting for you know a longer period of time and I thought okay I'm gonna choose to see it as PT yeah and isn't that interesting because <laughs> the pain has got this movement it's got a lot of energy the mind naturally goes there <laughs> Yeah. And so using all of that and saying, oh, what if I perceive this as pleasant? Yeah. yeah. The painful becomes pleasant. Yeah. And um, and yeah, and first jhana appears, yeah, with the same way of working, yeah, with with that as we would with PT. Same way, the same way we've been doing it, giving it our attention, playing with those modes, perceiving it as pleasant, yeah? opening yeah? to it, surrendering to the pleasantness. Yeah? This is already when it's shifted to pleasant, and <laughs> not when it's still painful, perceived as painful. Yeah? But playing with it. Yeah? And then getting into it and then letting it touch from painful to, you know, the kind of pleasantness that, as we've said, <laughs> people would pay money for, yeah, to, to have, yeah, that kind of movement. And 
this is available to us yeah, through these practices. It's available to, to each and every one of us. Through our practice and through practicing in this particular way, that's really emphasizing um, this um, playing with perception and shaping our experience through how we play with that perception. So it's helpful and important to pause here and to ask, okay, let's look at the big picture. What is this for? Are we doing this practice, you know, so that we become pain-free and any pain that appears, we can zap it. We've got the magic trick, like Nathan said, and the pain can become pleasure. Yeah. Zahara, can you, could you please repeat that? Because your internet connection was breaking, just as you said. Which part? You said we should pause here, and it did pause. Okay, great. <laughs> you see, I'm playing with your perception. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my techniques, yeah. The internet is on my side. I'm saying that. Hopefully it's not going to disconnect us now. <laughs> so the, 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 what is this for? Yeah. Um, really helpful to pause and, and reflect on this because, you know, it's not just about um, making our lives pain-free. Yeah, or making our lives more easy. It's also about you know, having wonderful ways of working with the difficult. Um, but we're not doing this just to cultivate a magic trick to cultivate, to, to zap the unpleasant into something else. Uh, first of all, it's not possible yeah, because there's conditions at play and um, there will be pain uh, that will arise in our lives. Um, but even more importantly, it's because that's not where our um, ultimate interest is. Yeah. It's not just about, ah, here's a tool and I can zap things. Yeah. I can zap things. It's about freedom and it's about liberating insight. Yeah. The kind of insight that frees. Yeah. The kind of insight that is revealed through these um, practices. And so there's a very, very close uh, relationship between samadhi and insight. Yeah. Very close. And the Buddha uh, you know, spoke a lot about samadhi, spoke a lot about insight, spoke about the relationship yeah, and how together um, they support awakening. Yeah. And sometimes, again, we will hear... Um, some of these ideas, you know, that are, okay, we do the samadhi practice to get the mind so clear and focused yeah, that then we can investigate reality. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of why we do this practice. Um, and we can say that's one thing that opens up for us. Um, but, you know, some of us, will say actually the whole idea that there's a fixed reality to investigate is something that we will question and actually what samadhi practice reveals is that what we experience is our perception of the world yeah our perception um, of the world 
that sense of you know our experience our perceptions the appearances that appear to us they are all shaped and constructed and conditioned and this word fabricated put together to a great degree by the mind to a great degree by the mind to a great degree by the way of relating of the mind we had some examples of that in the our question and response today. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, someone said, when I choose to see hindrances as love, they transform, they stop being a problem. Yeah. So we can see the way of relating impacts yeah, what we experience. If I choose to see pain as pity, maybe that will change. Yeah. The way I relate, what I choose to see, how I look at things, impacts how they appear. We start to understand more and more, when I incline my mind in this way, when I pay attention to this aspect of experience, this happens. When this is, that is. Mm We start to see it. When I listen to this particular frequency and experience, PT arises. When I listen to this particular frequency and experience, Sukha arises. And we might not be differentiating between the two yet, that's fine. (laughs) You'll get there. And when I... um, Yeah, when I look at a hindrance in this way, this happens. When I uh, see it as love, it disappears. When I, um, or it becomes kind of a power. When I see it as a problem, it magnifies. See, when I relate in this way, this happens. And so more and more through our practice, so much of what we're doing is we're, developing the seeing yeah we're actually developing also this insight yeah, into our experience yeah. both the particular around the samadhi practice but also the bigger picture yeah, that this is shaped conditioned yeah. and it's interesting because of course when we're doing the samadhi practice don't keep telling yourself this is constructed because one thing we will see is that we need to believe it. Yes, yeah, the same with the meta, right? We need to kind of really be wholehearted there in order for it to fruit, yeah, in order for it to happen. And that's beautiful, it creates beauty. And yet we know, yeah, in a bigger picture, yeah, this is constructed, which doesn't mean it's not real, doesn't mean it's not valuable. Yeah, the opposite. Yeah, the opposite. So we're developing, we can say, the skill of fabricating experience, of playing with perception as we do this. And we're developing and clarifying the seeing that sees, that reveals, that appearances are empty of inherent existence. Conditioned, fabricated. And that they're dependent on the way of looking. And this 
reveals possibilities, it opens possibilities to a great degree, a great degree. We start to know that there is enough. <laughs> there's enough well-being in the world for all of us. Yeah, there's enough happiness and peacefulness in the world uh, for all of us. Yeah. And we start to develop the confidence in ourselves yeah, that we can access it and that we can live in a life, uh, we can live life in a way that prioritizes that for ourselves and for others. Yeah. And this can become such an incredible, incredible resource. I remember um, after the, the, the jhana retreat that Rob taught, um, how long ago was it? More than three years, I think, just before the pandemic. And then talking to a few people after the retreat who, you know, it was over Christmas. It was quite unusual. It was a retreat that went over Christmas and New Year. And talking to a few people who said that they had been feeling really sad to be missing Christmas because it was very important to them and to be with a family and to have that whole sense of the happiness and the joy. Um, and then on Christmas Day, actually kind of taking that sense of the wish for happiness and taking that sense of love and bringing that into their practice and having more happiness on that day than they'd ever experienced before. Yeah. And just like that sense of this resource yeah, that we can start to play and we can bring things in. Yeah. Not in a way that disconnects us. Yeah. Not in a way that disconnects us from ourselves, from the world, but actually in a way that deeply connects us to others. So this practice, yes, yeah, so much, so intertwined with insight, so much leading to insight and such an incredible resource for us um, in the moment yeah, and also over time. Right? In the moment and also over time. So in the moment we may be feeling um, ah, a little bit more, can I go into it more, can I go into it more and, and more is revealed. Yeah, but also over time, that flexibility of mind and heart, that flexibility of perception and the availability of goodness, you know, of wholesomeness, of beauty for us. And it impacts so much the flexibility and malleability of the mind yeah, in ways that can really surprise us. Yeah. And of naturally, things like gratitude, naturally well-being can arise even in the most unexpected uh, conditions. Yeah. An example from my own practice, from I think it was last summer, we were in Finland and we were teaching two retreats. <laughs> it was a silent retreat, then we had a few days to rest and then we were going to do the trekking retreat, which we hadn't done since before COVID and I was so excited about. And was a COVID outbreak on the silent retreat. And in the days in between, I got sick and had COVID. Yeah. So no trekking retreat. <laughs> no trekking retreat. And, you know, what would, what would be the normal expected reaction, right? Disappointment, um, blame for myself maybe for not being more careful, um, 
blame for other people not being more careful, just feeling rubbish, you know, alongside the physically feeling rubbish, also the mental feeling rubbish, right? That's, that's what we would expect. What came instead was two things. One, an incredible sense of gratitude yeah, for the fact that, yes, I had COVID and I wasn't at home, but I was in this amazing flat that someone had let us use and said we could stay in for as long as I, until I got better. And I had a window. I was only in a bedroom. I couldn't go out because I didn't want to infect Nathan. Um, but I had this amazing window and there were trees there and I could watch the leaves. Yeah. So we could just see this is, and I'm telling you, I have an aversive mind. This is not natural for me. <laughs> it's not how I was born uh, or grew up or whatever. Yeah. This was a fruit of the practice. Yeah. Very clearly there. And even more interesting, when I went into the body alongside the feeling of you know, unwellness, yeah, there was also PT and Sukha, yeah, side by side, yeah, so there was the sense of not being well, and there was deep pleasantness and deep happiness, yeah, alongside, yeah, and I could tune into that pleasantness, yeah, lying down, not sitting, didn't have the energy to sit, yeah, and so what a resource and what an ongoing teaching to us about our experience. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to say here with this example. Yeah. This insight that we can change our perspective, we can change our perception of life, and therefore we can um, play with how much happiness is accessible to us. Yeah. How much happiness is accessible. The fact that we don't need to get things or to get rid of things in order to be happy. Yeah? It's not in that. The happiness is not dependent on an external object. Yeah? Dependent on the way of relating. It's in here. It's not out there. It's accessible for all of us. Again, with the particular conditions. For some of us, conditions are easier to access it. For others, they're more difficult yeah and we acknowledge that yeah and we're certainly not saying if you're not happy you're doing something wrong mate yeah definitely not saying that yeah definitely not saying that yeah? what we're saying is there's possibility here there's opportunity here yeah? to tune in to whatever happiness we can and to grow that in the moment and over time we're also learning, yeah, as we practice in this way, that the happiness available to us has a range beyond that which we knew was possible. Yeah. Beyond that which we knew is possible. And some of you are already kind of touching on that in moments or in longer periods. Yeah. That sense of well-being, that sense of happiness that comes, of joy that comes, which is not based on anything yeah, external. And that can be so fulfilling, like my friends on retreat at Christmas. Yeah? More happy yeah, than anything we could have imagined. And this is so valuable to us because as we know, yeah, what's the range that's available for us and how to access it it's easier for us to let go of that which we know 
um, is not wholesome, does not lead to ongoing long-term happiness for ourselves and for others. Mm -hmm. Buddha spoke about this very beautifully. He said, it's easy to let go. It's easy to renounce something when we know there's something better available. Yeah? When we know there's something better available. Yeah. Often, with, because we're habitual creatures, we need to kind of revisit this again and again and again. Yeah. To remember and to believe. So what's possible with this practice? Yeah. We kind of have been talking using the language of samadhi and deep state of samadhi. Slowly jhanas have been creeping in that language. Um, so the jhanas, these uh, deep states of samadhi, uh, deep states of absorption, deep states of well-being. Yeah. And each of them is... Um, has got uh, one particular type of well-being and happiness primary in it. Yeah. So in the first jhana, it will be that sense of piti, yeah, that pleasure, uh, which is more in the body and kind of has often more strong kind of currents and uh, vibrations. Um, so the one that kind of wants, uh, if you've had it, huge smile on the face. I used to kind of be in pain <laughs> from this <laughs> in meditation, um, just the, like the cat in Alice in Wonderland. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, lot, lot, that one, that's the first jhana. The sukha, as I think Nathan mentioned it, is in the background. Yeah, the, the happiness um, is, is also there, but in the background. And in the second jhana, they switch now, the sukha becomes more dominant. It moves to the front, the, the foreground, and the piti goes in the background, but it's still there. Yeah? And so we can say, like, not going to, don't want to get too technical, that in the first jhana we have more of this um, uplifting, uh, energetic, uh, more pleasure, bodily-based pleasure of um, of piti, and in the second we have more of a happiness. The the big smile can also be in the second jhana, um, but more of the sense of of this deep happiness, um, and that um, slowly as we move to the third jhana, the piti just um, flows out. <laughs> the experience drains out of the experience. We're left only with the sukha, and that will have more the flavors of contentment and of peacefulness. Yeah contentment and peacefulness and in the fourth jhana the sukha also yeah, is kind of refined out of the experience and we get this incredible luminous stillness yeah which you know, is a much again of each of these a big shift in refinement yeah very very still yeah. abiding, very luminous. Some people very dark, but for most people very luminous stillness. And so I'm mentioning these. It came up in the Q&A today just to know it's a spectrum of refinement between them. Yeah. So they're all refined states. PT is also much more refined than our daily life, but it can sometimes have a lot of energy. It can have uh, a sense of giggliness, wanting to laugh. It can feel... Um, 
orgasmic, so it can really feel very, very strong um, and uh, very much like a sexual energy. But the interesting thing is if you pay attention, you notice it doesn't have an object. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really coming from the body and it often has this upward movement uh, in it. With all of these, we're interested in getting to know them and we're interested in something that um, we, we call mastery. Yeah. So to get to know the jhana, they... Each of them are like a territory rather than just a particularly defined space. Um, but they're also very distinct from each other. And so we're interested in our practice to develop this mastery. And this is something quite unique about the way Rob taught um, Joanna practice. And what does mastery mean? Yeah. That as we become more familiar and as we master, we can summon that jhana at will. We can say to ourselves third, yeah, or contentment, and it appears, yeah, and it's there, yeah, or first, yeah, whatever it is. We can sustain, yeah, stay in the jhana for a long period of time. And we can do this across conditions, so in stillness, with the eyes closed, in walking practice, and then even in just going for a walk, yeah, or going, moving around the space. Yeah, so in kind of um, different sets of conditions. Yeah, so I'm just putting this out there, this issue of mastery, because it's kind of not something we're at all expecting in this short length of retreat. When Rob taught the three and a half week jhana retreat, he also said he was not expecting, um, you know, people to to even master one, but maybe one, yeah, in that period of time. Yeah, if they'd worked with it before or two. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of helpful to know like the territory that we're exploring and the map and what's possible. And also to know that with, e with each of them, even with the mastery, they're limitless. Yeah, we can cultivate them like the Brahma Viharas, for those of you who know them, limitless. We can cultivate, we can deepen um, our knowledge, our familiarity, um, of them. And I think there's something really meaningful about this wholeheartedness that we've been talking about. And I'm actually going to talk about it as love um, if that works for you. It doesn't work for everyone. But the sense of the love of practice, the sense of the love of life, yeah, it's a deep love. That's at the heart of this. Yeah. That's willing to meet challenge and actually appreciates it in the service of growing more love. <laughs> in the service of growing more love, more understanding, more compassion, more wisdom. For experience in whatever way it appears. Yeah. And for the world of appearances, which is our world, a yeah, world of appearances. I knew this was going to be a long talk, I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, let's breathe, enjoy, feel the love. Yeah. And remember, this is being recorded. 
And so, you know, also if it feels like I've gotten enough, just, you know, stop listening and enjoy the, the body, the space. Yeah, you can come back to this later. So the love that loves the challenge, that leads to growth of more love for experience and for the world. And the love that is there, yeah, ready for the insights that open up. Yeah. The insights that keep opening up and deepening our understanding. The Buddha spoke about jhanas as perception attainments. Yeah. This came up, I think, in the questions yesterday. Yeah. The Buddha spoke about jhanas, about deep samadhi. And we can say this about all of samadhi practice as perception attainments, or attainments means like achievements, yeah? uh, something that we kind of get, you know, really in the sense of getting, not getting something um, materially, but getting as an understanding. Yeah? And, um, and also something that we get as, ah, we can we learn how to do this, yeah? this is a way of working with perception, in a really deep and profound way, um, and there's a lot of insight in that. Yeah? A lot of insight in that. Because as we see, we are playing with perception yeah? to get to their well being, to be sensitive, to notice the well being, and then to build on that um, perception of well being to have more well-being and more well-being and more well-being. We understand the conditioned nature of perception experientially, yeah? Because we're doing this, yeah? And we can really ask, but who's doing this? <laughs> we're doing this and who's doing this yeah. at the same time? Yeah. Because we're kind of playing a part yeah, in this perception, a really crucial part. Yeah? And when we say um, the conditioned nature of perception, yeah, we mean the conditioned nature of appearances, of phenomena, of experience, everything. Yeah? It's all conditioned, constructed, put together, yeah? including by the mind. Yeah? The mind plays such a crucial part in this. And therefore, it's changeable and shapeable. Yeah? Changeable and shapeable. And this is an insight that can take us all the way to full liberation, whatever that is. <laughs> but it's also an insight that supports us. Yeah? It, it keeps deepening. Yeah? It keeps opening up applications um, for us. And it frees us. And we need to keep living it, keep exploring it. Over and over. So, you know, a, a, another little example from my experience of applying this, playing with this. So that jhana retreat that I talk, talked about, that Rob taught, and Nathan and I were also had the great privilege to practice on. A few days after, maybe the next day or a couple of days after, um, we, uh, it was February and, uh, or January, January, and uh, we went for a walk 
and we started walking up one of the cliffs by the coast where we, not far from where we live. Um, and it was muddy, it had been raining. It was a beautiful day, but it had been raining. It was muddy and very steep cliff. And as we were walking up, I thought to myself, I'm going to need to come down this. I know there's no other way. I've been here before. <laughs> Should I keep going? I decided I'll keep going. I'll, I'll leave that problem for later. Let's postpone it. So after, you know, going for this beautiful walk, beautiful views, really happy, come back again and here we go. We need to start walking down. And I have a real, quite a big fear that I've had from a very young age of slipping down um, a steep um, surface. Uh, and yeah, it's very steep, very high cliff. And so the fear is there. It's really strong fear. Yeah, deeply conditioned fear. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of just going like a, so slowly, so slowly, really paralyzed by this fear and going really slowly, trying to be really careful. As we all know, that's not really helpful when you're walking down a hill, but never mind. <laughs> trying to do that, knowing it's not helpful. And then I think, okay, what have I been doing for the last three and a half weeks? I've been playing with my perception. What if I do it right now? So I thought to myself, what would help? I thought, if I had my walking sticks you know, with me, that would be really helpful, yeah? Because the walking sticks give me the confidence yeah, that I have the extra support I can walk down. So I could ask Nathan to go home, get the walking sticks and come back. Or I could imagine that I've got them, yeah? I can play with my perception and kind of imagine that I've got these walking sticks. And that's what I did. And I even made the movement with the body yeah, to support the imagination. Incredible. <laughs> because this conditioned fear so strong in the body, the imagination, the playing with the perception, the pliability of the mind. Yeah? And I'm walking down the hill, strong, straight, confident. Yeah? People think I'm crazy because I'm doing this as if I've got walking sticks, but there's no walking sticks, but who cares what they think, yeah? Because here I am, fearless, yeah? Playing with perception, yeah? without that fear. So, kind of this is part of why this practice, yeah? Part of why this is a practice that leads to liberating insight, because we can take the insight, we can take the skill of playing with perception and bring it to more and more areas of our lives. This is a small example. It was huge for me, yeah? and it's a great teaching story. Yeah? But of course, you know, more and more areas of our lives where we can play with this and open up beyond the limitations that we perceive that we have. And so we need to live it, we need to apply it. And we need to practice it, which is what we're doing now. Yeah? Through our samadhi practice, we're practicing playing with perception. And we are changing the mind. Yeah? We're changing the habits of this wonderful gift that we have in here, somewhere in here, all over the body. We know now it's not just the brain. Yeah? Taking this beautiful thing and we're making it even more beautiful. Taking this and making it even more wholesome. Yeah, to be in the service of freedom um, for ourselves and for others. And so we take all of this, yeah, what we take ourselves to be. I have this fear and I've had it since I've been really young. 
and I just need to live with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perception of self also. And it's a perception of limitation. And so we take this insight even further and say, I am not necessarily who I take it to be because the sense of self also yeah, is conditioned and constructed. And we can play with our perception of that as well. Yeah? Play with our perception of that as well. And that kind of brings more fluidity, more flexibility, more changeability and shapeability um, to our experience. So, can we feel, you know, just how big this is and also how immediate it is. We continue as we practice to work yeah, with the well-being, to work with attending to it, to support it. But we remember the big picture that this is in service of. And we know, you know, the insights are there. They are being lived as we practice. The playing with perception is happening. Yeah. And we're playing with perception in the direction of well-being and in the direction of freedom for all beings. Yeah. For all beings, including the particular one that we're caring for in this life. Yeah. So let's just have a quiet moment together to bring this to a close. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for your listening. Time to nourish the body for some of us, as well as the heart and mind, and to continue enjoying that which can be enjoyed. Go well for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.